Hi there, and welcome to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Los. The Gontrepreneur.com podcast gives us an opportunity to speak directly to entrepreneurs, cannabis growers, product developers, and cannabis medicine researchers, all focused on making the most of cannabis normalization. As your host, I do my best to bring you original cannabis industry ideas that will ignite your own entrepreneurial spark and give you actionable information to improve your business strategy and improve your health and the health of cannabis patients everywhere. Today, our guest is Dr. Greg Gerdeman. Dr. Greg Gerdeman is an assistant professor of biology at Eckert College in St. Petersburg, Florida. He has actively researched the neurobiological targets of cannabis since entering graduate school at Vanderbilt University in 1995. There, his doctoral dissertation in pharmacology included seminal discoveries about the functioning of endocannabinoids in the brain, especially within neural circuits involved in motor control and pathologies of movement and compulsive disorders. His work at Vanderbilt and subsequently the University of Arizona was funded by the National Institute on Drug Abuse and earned multiple awards for excellence from the International Cannabinoid Research Society. More recently, Dr. Gerdeman co-directed a study supported by the National Science Foundation investigating the release of natural endocannabinoids during endurance exercise. His papers have appeared in top-tier scientific journals, including Nature Neuroscience and Trends in Neuroscience, and have been cited over 1,500 times in the scientific literature. His research has been highlighted in press pieces ranging from science to National Geographic to men's health. He co-authored a chapter in The Pot Book, A Complete Guide to Cannabis, and has written as a guest commentator on medical marijuana for the Tampa Bay Times. At Eckerd College, he teaches courses in physiology, neuroscience, and pharmacology. Presently, Greg is Chief Science Officer at Three Boys Farm in Ruskin, Florida. Welcome to the show, Greg. Thank you. Thank you for having me very much. So one of the reasons I was so interested in having you on the show is because not only do you have a deep understanding of the endocannabinoid system, but also you're interested in the cultural aspects of humans coming to realize that we even have an endocannabinoid system and, and how that is changing uh, culture itself. So the first half of the show, we're going to talk about the endocannabinoids uh, science behind it. And then the second half, we're going to talk about uh, humans waking up to this realization. So so let's get people started um, with an explanation of what the endocannabinoid system is and what role does it play in our bodies. That sounds great, and, and I'm happy to do that. Yeah, so what are the endocannabinoids? Well, they come about, here I, I go into the narrative of discovery already, they come about because science, um, ever since the discovery of the plant cannabinoids, THC and cannabidiol, CBD, uh, there was a big scientific endeavor to figure out what they're doing in the brain. And and admittedly, there was great institutional negative bias about it. You know, the research was directed to figure out um, how things go wrong, um, whether we get addicted or go mad with cannabis. What we came to discover out of that research uh, climate, that funding context, is that the body contains – uh, intrinsic molecules, signaling molecules that act much like THC and likely other cannabinoids do. One way to look at that when I talk to people um, is to say, well, what is a signaling molecule? All cells in the body communicate by releasing various kinds of signaling molecules, like a hormone is a signaling molecule that travels through the blood, and the pancreas can communicate with cells in the body by releasing insulin and 
telling them to get ready for the cells to be ready for sugar. We've, we came to find in the 90s that pretty much every, oh, nearly every brain cell, the neurons of the brain, um, release these molecules that we call endocannabinoids that act in many ways like THC does to turn down excitability, excessive activity that can be toxic in the brain, and to mediate processes like perception and learning and memory. So they're kind of like the body's own cannabis molecules in a sense. They've been called the body's internal marijuana, and, um, and, and there's a good reason to say it that way. So, so if I'm following you correctly, the cannabinoid receptors are receiving the signals from our own endocannabinoids that are made within our body, and those signals tell the endocannabinoid system how to mag- uh, modulate any one of these systems. Am I following you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's how cells communicate with one another, and the, the cannabinoid receptors on nerve cells, immune cells, and a whole variety of other cells. The cannabinoid receptors are there to receive the signal, but so many different tissues and cell types release these endocannabinoids in order to tell their neighbors what's going on and to calm down, especially to calm down in excited states like with uh, seizure activity, excessive activity in neural cells, or with immune cells when they're getting super inflamed and active Um, endocannabinoids get released and cells communicate with their neighborhood by releasing these endocannabinoids and dampening down in general the activity. All right, that makes sense. So so if we produce endocannabinoids in our system, what's the benefit for us in adding more cannabinoids to our system by ingesting the cannabis plant? Well, there's lots of ways to approach that. One of the direct ways is we, we more and more and more believe that in certain cases of pathology, there is a, a deficit of physiologically relevant, clinically relevant deficiency in endocannabinoids that may be to blame for the uh, depressed mood or the state of, say, seizure activity or chronic pain. Uh, cases like situations like fibromyalgia and migraine, these are where there's a good solid body of evidence that some people suffering from these pain states have, uh, for whatever genetic reasons, lower levels of activity in this endocannabinoid system. And treating with plant cannabinoids is quite legitimate to say, like supplementing this endocannabinoid system. And there's a huge growing body of research, as mainstream as science research gets, that this endocannabinoid system is an intrinsic mechanism for cellular protection, neural protection. Mainstream scientists refer to the endocannabinoid system as the brain's intrinsic neuroprotective system. It's a system by which we maintain balance, what physiologists call homeostasis. Endocannabinoid signaling is part of keeping that balance set point, and it's so complex because it's distributed throughout all the systems of our body, but if on a case-to-case basis, different individuals or different syndromes, you may be needing to boost that endocannabinoid system or it may be therapeutic to do so. 
Right on. So this next question is based entirely on rumor. <laughs> so, um, so, so I do understand the science uh, from having Dr. Ethan Russo on the show that when we when we fall into endocannabinoid deficiency, that it can lead to all sorts of our systems becoming out of whack and can lead to fibromyalgia, a worsening of PTSD, irritable bowel syndrome, all sorts of stuff. And the rumor part of it is that you know just in in friendly conversation at cannabis conventions, some folks will suggest that the reason that we are seeing an increase in these diseases nowadays is because historically the human had access to cannabis because um, we continually uh, grew it as as we evolved. Um, however, in the last 70 years, uh, cannabis has been out of the hands of Americans. And so because of that, um, our body, which was used to including cannabinoids, suddenly that supplementation is gone, and so we're only left with our endocannabinoids, leading to an increase in these related diseases. Is there any scientific basis for that, or is that just is that just people talking about the water on the water cooler? <laughs> well, it seems pretty speculative. I mean, I like the thinking, but. Um, Certainly, there's a lot of great modern scholarship about how the cannabis plant has spread across the world. And, you know, in my roles, when I'm when I'm talking, for example, debating people around public policy and, and whether cannabis should be used as medicine in the very close-minded place of the Southeast, um, you know, I run into doctors who say, well, you know, it's been used a long time, but so what? So is strychnine. Cannabis has been used for such a long time, but it's not just that it's an old medicine that makes it good. Um, it's been it's a medicine that's been used since before recorded history. Our earliest medical documents show that it's there, and it has been preserved for thousands of years and across dozens of migrations and cultural transitions, grown, cultivated, selected for traits. We as humans have certainly uh, shaped the evolution of cannabis. The flip side of that question that I think, where I read what you're talking about, is whether our cultivation of cannabis has uh, helped to shift and shape our evolution um, and as human beings. That would be a, a, a theory of co-evolution, which is certainly a scholarly um, thing to speculate. As a biologist, I'm much more comfortable saying that we have a mutualistic relationship. Cannabis helps human health, and we have cultivated cannabis and advanced it for that reason. Um, when it comes to things like fibromyalgia and chronic pain states being exacerbated, I'm more comfortable saying that that's because of the chronic stresses that we have in our life that we certainly didn't – that are characteristic of industrialized nine-to-five you know, traffic jam reality. And we know from really good scientific research that the endocannabinoid system gets assaulted by chronic stress. The endocannabinoid system is part of the body's stress buffering system. No doubt about it. And and I could talk about that in very fine detail that might make your listeners kind of glaze <laughs> over because we know brain networks and molecules and and animal situations where that happens but your your system of endocannabinoids in your brain in your in your endocrine system is part of your body's stress buffering system and chronic stress wears it out and so 
supplementing with plant-based cannabinoid medicines um, may just be have been there all along. Granted, you know we've been in this overlong experiment of suppressing it, um, but it it it's kind of been there all along. It's like an old friend coming to the rescue <laughs> kind of thing. So so if if our stressful lives are calling for us to supplement our endocannabinoid system with cannabinoids that we have grown in the cannabis plant, does it matter in what way in, we ingest those cannabinoids, whether it's uh, combustion through smoking a joint or, or a tincture, uh, you know, eating something edible? Um, does, does the form that the plant takes when we put it into our body play a role in the quality of those cannabinoids? Well, there my you know my take from from what people are doing and the experience of my more clinical colleagues is really that it, it depends a lot on on what condition you're talking about. I mean, it, we've come to find out uh, that cannabis can be therapeutically helpful in so many ways, not just stress, in many ways that were not anticipated even ten years ago. Um, you know, following the th- sort of going with the flow I was on, let me say that I'm a big believer that. You know, for primary your primary care and t- taking care of yourself, the first step should not be adding getting the right balance of of cannabis cannabinoids. It should be de-stressing and focusing on what makes your life better. You know, getting to the root of the problem and and where you are out of homeostatic balance in, in your life. And that's, you know, I'll leave it at that very broad brushstroke there. But you know, if someone has a chronic some sort of anxiety condition. Um, that gets triggered, for example, PTSD. Um, well, for certain symptom control, then uh, inhalation, like vaporizing or smoking, is unsurpassed because you can you can administer a low dose and achieve an effect, even a sub psychoactive effect, um, and, and sort of what we call titrate to dose very quickly. You know, take a puff, get what you need, mm-hmm. and go about your day. But then other symptoms, like uh, since I started with PTSD, I'll continue there. You know, a major problem is sleep and, and being scared of sleep, being woken up with nightmares. And there, um, some sort of edible product, uh, a little pill, a little gummy, what have you, um, a little oil at night, uh, as I understand from patient report and, and what is largely hearsay for me because I don't work with patients – is that that kind of thing is very helpful for a significant number of patients. And so they may have different modalities. And and that's where having an integrative cannabinoid medicine approach um, that takes what the person is dealing with combined with a, a respectable understanding um, of the cannabis medicine and the different products, it, it it just becomes part of a of a health program, and that's really what's so lacking in medicine today is having a program about your health as opposed to just getting a script and popping pills. Yeah, the big difference between uh, preventative medicine versus um, acute care. Yeah. Exactly. So, Greg, we need to take a short break. We'll be right back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. The Gontrepreneur.com podcast is going to sound a bit different going forward. We are now producing our podcasts in-house so we can have more control over how they sound. We want to make them an even better listening experience for you. That means the show is going to sound a little bit less produced and whiz-bang and a bit more down-to-earth and pleasant on the ears. 
we didn't use to control the commercial content, and we, and many of you, thought it sounded out of sync with the rest of the vibe of the show. Going forward during the commercial breaks, we're going to bring you companies that we believe in. We're going to tell you about them, we're going to tell you how to get in contact with them, and then we'll get right back to the show. Pretty simple, really. This change also means we are booking our own commercials now. If you want to reach out and connect with our audience in the most personal way we can offer, drop us an email at grow at gontrepreneur.com and we can talk about you becoming a commercial sponsor of the podcast. It is our hope and intention that these changes will make the podcast an even more pleasant listening experience. Thanks for listening and being part of the Gontrepreneur family. Now back to the show. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, Shango Lose, and our guest this week is endocannabinoid researcher and author, Dr. Greg Gerdeman. So before the break, Greg, we were talking about the endocannabinoid system and kind of giving people a, a superficial understanding of what their endocannabinoid system is and, you know, the proper care and feeding of it. And, you know, one of the things that I'm interested in how uh, your papers come across is that you like to also talk about the idea of humans realizing that they we even have an endocannabinoid system and and how it's starting to to shape and shift care so so how much has the knowledge of endocannabinoid deficiency and the existence of the system grown in the last 10 years it's i mean it seems new it it is new it's it's not as new as it seems sometimes uh, because it but it is new really it's it was it's really new since the early 90s and it's been it's been growing by leaps and bounds i mean it's like a floodgate really and when i think about when i started getting into this just to ask somebody ask a room what cannabis is that wasn't much in the vernacular at least in tennessee right, right where i was at um, endocannabinoids nobody knew anything about I sometimes get spoiled into, or you know, fooled into thinking more, more people know about it than they do. Um, maybe because I look at my Facebook feed and it's just all yeah, about it. Yeah, we live it. in a, we live in a I, bubble, Greg. <laughs> it's yeah. true. No, people are learning more and more about it. It's only going to continue because it is one. In my view, it's one of the epic disco- scientific discoveries um, of the second half of the 20th century, maybe the whole 20th century. Uh, it's a gigantic. Um, paradigm shifting discovery about cellular communication. So at a at a systemic and and you know doctor patient relationship level, um, how is the discovery and I guess more popularization of the endocannabinoid system changing the way that we look at our body systems and and healing and preventative care? Well, I think at the basic science level, and this is largely researchers that are in labs, I mean, it's really changing models of how um, health and, and disease work in a lot of systems. You know, like even various cancers, um, the, a, a, a cannabinoid sort of uh, system problem may, may be part of the uh, ideology of the tumor disease growing. Um, it's more at the level of the basic research, though. I mean, the by and large, outside the pockets of cannabis normalization, as, as you talk about, which I, I love that term, outside of those pockets, there's tremendous naivete about what it is. I was meeting doctors at a conference this, this past weekend who knew nothing about the endocannabinoid system, and their eyes are looking like mine did when I was a 20-year-old graduate student. Um, 
So there's much to learn about it. You know, um, sometimes I will uh, engage with uh, Western doctors who do not have the uh, cannabis knowledge, but they'll come to me to talk about some aspect of patient care because since since I'm in the industry, I sometimes know more than the doctors do. So they ask me about it. And then I mentioned the endocannabinoid system. And so often I get this kind of blank look on their face that they actually don't even <laughs> know that we've got one. You know, um, You know, people joke that they don't teach the endocannabinoid system in med schools and that they've only just recently started teaching it. So is there any truth to that? I mean, do they teach it in in med school? Well, you know, the thing is, largely no, <laughs> um, but, but more and more. I mean, I, I've talked about it all along for a long time, but it's also... You know, it's also sometimes said within the cannabis culture, like, well, we learn about the skeletal muscular system and the and the cardiovascular system. Why not the endocannabinoid system? And they're not quite the same. It's not a perfectly fair comparison because the endocannabinoids are molecules. You don't see those with your naked eye. It's not an anatomically distinct uh, system, anatomical system per se. The endocannabinoid system is a mechanism that shared throughout the tissues in the body it's a key mechanism by which you know i dare say every tissue system in the body regulates itself and it's been most pronounced in our understanding of the brain and the immune system and i think that's where the greatest action is uh, so to speak awareness is growing i mean what can i say the the neuroscience textbook that i teach my undergraduate neuroscience course with and is the most popular undergraduate neuroscience textbook um, uh, by Mark Baer and colleagues, it has uh, like three pages on endocannabinoids. It cites my work and others, and it calls it the most exciting discovery in cell signaling in the past several years. So my undergraduates are learning about it. Um, whether physicians are going to have entire courses in medical school or not, it certainly needs to be integrated into much of their curriculum and experience beyond just the little module they have about why drugs make you high and addicted, which is sort of traditionally where it gets pigeonholed. Right on, right on. that makes sense. So, so on a practical level, is it true that always adding more cannabinoids is good, or can the endocannabinoid system become overwhelmed because I'm over-supplementing with cannabinoids? Well, I would lean towards the latter. I'm not, definitely not going to say it's always going to be better. And, you know, I think um, I've learned a lot from some of my colleagues like Dustin Sulak and Bonnie Goldstein and doctors that really work with this that, you know, sometimes develop going too much and developing tolerance to uh, the cannabis, it, it puts patients into back into a negative um, experience wow. that what they need for therapeutic uh, dosing is really low, you know, regular micro dosing of of cannabis, I'm very interested in the preventive uh, health mindset of low, frequent, or relatively often dosing with cannabis, or or sort of the acid raw cannabinoids that aren't psychoactive, possibly being a healthy approach to staving off neurodegenerative disease like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's that we know are related to chronic inflammation. On the other side, and and this also is buried in the more rigorous science. You know, there are conditions that may be exacerbated by CB1 activation. So there's there's concern that activation of CB1 receptors in the vasculature of the blood vessels may help to promote 
uh, atherosclerosis or um, consequent increased stroke risk, for example. I, that's, I think there should be more research into that. Um, but there certainly may be cases um, and sort of particular individuals or genetic predispositions where it's not a good idea at all um, to, to engage in cannabis as medicine. Wow. I, I've never heard that before. That's, that is brand new information for me. And now this begs this question, and I'm going to ask you for a number, and I know that I'm asking you to do something that's challenging, but I, I, want, you to, I want you to rise <laughs> to the occasion. So, so, so let's say that someone, well, like me, who doesn't necessarily have uh, one of the typical um, health issues that uh, CBD is uh, recommended for. However, I appreciate the um, uh, neurogenesis and neuroprotectant qualities of cannabinoids. And so I just want to take a, a supplement daily um, that will help me you know, you know, not have Alzheimer's, not develop into Parkinson's, just something to help me as I get older. And, and I actually do that. I, I've <laughs> grown my own ACDC at 20 to one and, and made my own tincture and had it lab tested. And so, so every day I have mm -hmm. a squirt of it and it's, it's five milligrams of organic CBD in a little bit of water and boom. I don't know that five milligrams is the right amount to actually you know, help me long term. Based on your right. research, can you just give us a ballpark figure of of what somebody who is is wanting to stay healthy, but not necessarily targeting it for a particular issue that they're trying to fix? How many milligrams of cannabinoids should we be trying to put into our bodies a day, just as a simple supplement? Because microdosing that doesn't tell me much numerically, and I'd really love to have that number. Right. Well, you know, I, I, when you're talking about CBD, um, you know, it is a shot in the dark, but sure, five, five uh, milligrams, 10 milligrams, um, that makes sense to me. <laughs> that makes sense to me, and, you're, it, and, and I'm, I totally resonate with <laughs> what you're saying about, you know, why not try that? And, and with, the, with the group I'm, I'm working with in Florida, Three Boys Farm, um, who wants to get into growing, that's the kind of um, – product that we think would uh, would be very good for um, health uh, wellness and prevention but you know the thing is we there's so much of a skilled research um, structure research um, in institutionalized um, environment in in the US that has been shackled to study this stuff I think that people should get together in groups whether it's crowdsourcing or through uh, medical center initiatives or something it it would just be great for all of us to to accumulate that data and, and track it and people are doing it anyway and why shouldn't they it's just absurd that it should be prohibited like it is utterly absurd and it just seems to me like everybody knows that but i know they don't um but it should be tracked if we really want to be able to get a handle on that dose you know in animal studies where and and dosing can be very hard to extrapolate because you know mice metabolize things much faster than humans do, um, for example. But that would suggest that low doses, um, 
you know, I just mentioned like a possible risk factor for like atherosclerosis, hardening of the arteries. But in a well, in a highly published, uh, prestigious published mouse paper, super low doses of THC, like microgram doses, um, in mice, which metabolize it better than we do, um, had lower incidence of atherosclerosis, hardened arteries, which is a risk factor for all kinds of cardiovascular disease and number one killer in in the U.S. A work by people like Gary Wank and others in, at Ohio State looking at Alzheimer's disease models in mice uh, show really low doses, regular frequent doses. He started calling it his puff-a-day model, mm-hmm. like taking a, a puff-a-day of cannabis could stave off these chronic neurodegenerative diseases. Oftentimes we know if it runs in our family or we have a good sense of it. Um, why not? There's no good reason to think that we shouldn't let people self-experiment with that and have the liberty to do it. Let's unshackle the research um, engine to follow that and, and make our future generations all the more informed about That's it. That's great. So that tells me both that my five to 10 milligrams a day is a good place for me to go and that all of our and, and so. all of our support for continued research is a good call. So with, I with that, so. we're going to take another short break and be right back. You're listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. Entrepreneurs across the country are establishing businesses in response to cannabis normalization. Once a state becomes legal for cannabis, they all go through similar growing pains. New business owners must develop a business plan, a brand, learn growing and processing techniques, and develop products from those new skills and get them to market. Most challenging, they must learn how to work creatively within the narrow bands of legality set by their state regulators. Each step in this process is filled with hidden delays at burn resources. The most common challenging belief I have seen from my own clients and other players in Washington, Colorado, and Oregon is that they think they can do it all themselves, or worse, that they have to do it all by themselves. This is simply untrue, and in most cases will cost you a great deal of time, money, and frustration. We have reached the point now that there are exceptionally good cannabis consultants who have learned from their mistakes, risen to the top of their own markets, and now offer this advice to new cannabis entrepreneurs in states that are just moving into production now. One of these is Green Lion. Green Lion was an early player in the Washington medical market. They grew up during times of confusing gray market regulations, balancing between honoring the Coal 2 memo and state cannabis laws while continually striving to push the market forward with groundbreaking growing processing and products. Green Lion was in the first round of licenses awarded by Washington State, and they began the difficult challenge of running tandem medical and state-licensed recreational operations while being a shining example of creating revenue and staying within the fine details of state law. Their extraction lab uses a variety of methods and has a reputation for producing exceptional oils and an employee training program taught by folks who are now industry leaders. Green Line can help you attain your own cannabis sales goals. Their multifaceted team has the expertise you need, whether it be growing, extraction, product development, branding, or support working through your state's licensing process. Green Line is also now acquiring established medical and recreational marijuana product lines to bring into the Green Line family. If you have an established product and want to participate in the licensed cannabis market, Green Line could be the place for you. They will fold your manufacturing team into their production and get your proven products into the hands of cannabis enthusiasts everywhere. 
Finally, do you enjoy fine cannabis oil? Greenline presently provides recreational and medical products made with their premium oils throughout Washington state. Ask for Green Lion Dab Oil, CO2 oil and Keef-infused pre-rolls, vape cartridges, and full plant extract topicals at your favorite retail location. Get your pen ready because here comes the contact information. If you want to achieve a positive cash flow in a shorter time, reach out to Green Lion. If you have a marijuana business that needs to find a licensed home to manufacturer, reach out to Green Lion. Drop a line to contact at greenlionindustries.com and let them know how you want to work together. And tell them Gondrepreneur sent you too. That email address is contact at greenlionindustries.com. And now back to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, Shango Lose. And our guest this week is endocannabinoid researcher and author, Dr. Greg Gerdeman. So in the first segment, we talked about uh, the nature of the endocannabinoid system and what it is and how to feed and water it. And then in the second part, we talked about the importance of endocannabinoid research and how it is coming into the public consciousness. Well, you know, a great deal of the people who are listening to this show are entrepreneurs who want to make the most of cannabis normalization by both bringing a good product to market that also helps patients. So, so Greg, can you give us an idea of how best um, entrepreneurs who want to be able to deliver a product that is rich with CBD to help feed the endocannabinoid system uh, can do that? Well, yeah, thanks. I think that's a great question. And, and, and personally, I'm excited to see how much um, companies and entrepreneurs are taking to trying to educate uh, patients and, and the public. I see so much talk about the endocannabinoid system within the context of cannabis businesses that I think it's exci- as an educator, I'm excited about it. They're talking science. And that needs to keep up. And building inroads to help uh, – educate physicians about that and normalize their concepts of uh, CBD and endocannabinoid-based medicines is key. And speaking of products, I mean, one of the things I'm really excited about is the progress moving forth with non-psychoactive topicals, whether it's CBD or the acids like THCA, CBDA. There's so much potential there. And as a great personal case in point, I've been invited to give a, a, a keynote uh, continuing medical education accredited lecture at a Congress of Clinical Rheumatology um, at a conference in, in Destin, Florida next month. It's one of the largest conferences of clinical rheumatologists, you know, mainstream docs that don't study cannabis. And I'm giving a talk on cannabis and cannabinoid biology. Um, and I'm thrilled to be asked. And the point is, here, these are doctors who are going, I'm going to try to focus on immune system modulating effects, the, the notion of topicals that are not psychoactive at all, and it helps. It does help to break down these barriers to understanding the cannabinoid system as a therapeutic system. And personally, I think as that sort of healthcare normalization goes on, well, more physicians will understand that we really know a lot about its effects in the brain and its psychoactivity as well, and it will be less scary. 
So putting myself in the shoes of a product developer, I would think that um, I would be excited about pretty much taking any edible product I'm making, whether it be a tincture or a capsule or, um, you know, or, a, or a, an actual like tasty snack edible and just, mm-hmm. you know, put, you know, five to 10 milligrams per serving, just add it to it as a supplement. And that way, whether it's a patient and they need the CBD or if they are a recreational user and are and are using cannabis for its stress relief and life quality enhancements that either one is going to be benefiting from having 5 milligrams of cannabinoids added to whatever they're uh, ingesting is would you agree with that uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, if, if, of course, if you're talking about uh, THC proper, uh, five milligrams can be high for people, and that's you know that's not really what you're talking about. No, I, no, I no. I'm talking think. about the non-psychoactive family, you know, right? Like, like cannabinoids. It makes yeah. sense. You know, I, I'm I'm not going to be an expert to to talk about the the balancing act that has to be worked with the FDA vis-a-vis dietary supplements or treating some sort of condition. But you know, speaking commonsensically. Absolutely. I, I agree with you 100%. Right on, right on. So so the, the, the last question before we wrap up here is, so so as a product developer, and I want to, uh, let's say that I'm, I'm growing a high CBD strain, for example, you know, ACDC or Remedy. And so I'm not mm-hmm. growing it for its THC content. I'm growing it for its... Uh, for its uh, cannabidiol and, and other cannabinoids, um, are there certain processes of extraction that degrade the cannabinoids that they're trying to deliver to their customers? Are there are there specific extraction message uh, methods that just walk all over cannabinoids that we'd want to avoid? Gosh, you know, I'm learning more and more about the actual you know hands-on extraction methods and. I you know I think mostly it's avoiding heat um, and that that those methods that will start to generate high heat certainly will enhance the rate of oxidizing and breaking down the cannabinoids into something that you may not want you know um, and and not hitting your desired target because I think it's certainly important to, to know what's in there it's at least for a medical you know perspective and if we want to track over time like i said research what works and what doesn't it's really important to know what's in there um so uh extraction methods there are lots of really great uh, experiments going on with extraction methods i certainly myself intuitively am opposed to the uh, butane and other hydrocarbons as extraction methods i just that doesn't make sense to me as a health promoting thing um but otherwise, there are lots of different things that can be done with cold alcohols and supercritical fluid extraction and just sort of slow pressing it into oils of, of, um, of choice or the solventless sort of hash methods. I mean, I think there's that's why these vertically integrated systems, although we hope to get into that in Florida, it's not really what Florida should do. There should be a rich entrepreneurial market to try these different artisanal sort of products um, and and let us let let the entrepreneurs help figure all of that out by open dialogue. And, and it also sounds like a, almost a commercial for Rosin Tech and just trying to you know squish flowers into oil since there's you know it's mostly friction and weight and very little heat at all. Yeah. Well, they've got an angle. I mean, yeah. I, and I. I 
Sure. (laughs) So so that's all the time we have uh, for today, unfortunately. Uh, I've really enjoyed having you on the uh, show there, Dr. Greg Gerdeman. And uh, you have such an elegant way of explaining the endocannabinoid system. I think it makes it really accessible. So thank you so much for being on the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you. And I I hope to be speaking more. I'm working on a book. I hope to be out there more and more. So um, I really appreciate being on the show. To find out more about Dr. Greg Gerdeman, you can simply do a Google search, which will bring you several articles, interviews, and a few videos. Uh, You can also connect with him directly via email if you want at glgerdeman at gmail.com. And that's G-L-G-E-R-D-E-M-A-N at gmail.com. You can find out more about his work with Three Boys Farm at their website, threeboysfarm.com, and that's with the number three. If you want to learn more about the endocannabinoid system, you can go all the way back to episode number three of the Gontrepreneur podcast with Dr. Ethan Russo, where we discuss the science behind endocannabinoid deficiency and its impacts on health. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur podcast in the podcast section at gontrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news, product reviews, and cannabis jobs updated daily, along with transcriptions of this podcast. You can also download the gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. Do you have a company that wants to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email grow at gontrepreneur.com to find out how. Today's show was produced by Pat Paquette. I'm your host, Shango Lose.